Hello and welcome to the Backtracker History Show podcast with me, Alice. Join me as I go delving through the archives to find out more about the people, places and events from the past. Listen to tales of dastardly pirates and amazing innovators, catastrophic accidents and devious crimes. This podcast has it all. And this episode is no exception. So get ready to give your ears a treat and maybe learn a few things on the way. As I don't believe in sanitising the facts of history, these episodes may contain information that some people find disturbing. Within the city of Bristol lie seven cemeteries, two of which are from the Victorian era. The largest, Arnus Vale, opened in 1839, and Greenbank followed shortly afterwards in 1871. Greenbank was originally established as an outer parish of St Philip's, and was extended twice, first in 1880 and then again in 1899. The cemetery contains burials of both wars, and it's no longer possible to mark many of the graves individually, so the names of the dead now appear on screen walls and other special memorials in two commemorative plots. There are also special memorials to a number of casualties buried in other burial grounds in Bristol, whose graves can no longer be maintained. In total, There are now 178 First World War casualties commemorated in this cemetery and 129 from the Second World War. There are also 26 foreign national war burials and 11 non-war service burials here. One of the most famous internments is a war hero, whose grave is quite simple and plain considering what he did in the war. His name is Frederick George Roone. Frederick George Room was born at 42 Oak Road, Horfield, Bristol, on the 31st of May, 1895. His father, William James, was a Welshman and a railway labourer. He married Bertha Eaton Rees in 1889 in Bedminster, Somerset. William moved jobs on numerous occasions, and William and Bertha had five children, with Frederick having two brothers and two sisters. Frederick was educated at Whitehall Council School and was a member of St Ambrose Company, 1st Bristol Cadet Battalion, Church Lads Brigade, affiliated to the King's Royal Rifle Corps. He was employed by Marden, Son and Hall's Wagon Works and later by Western Engineering Company in Orchard Street, Bristol, as a metal turner. Frederick tried to join the Royal Engineers at Colston Hall, Bristol, at the outbreak of the Great War, but was not accepted. He enlisted on the 29th of August 1914, joining Southern Command Cavalry Depot at Bristol on the 1st of September and 10th Reserve Cavalry Regiment, 4th Hussars, on the 3rd of September. He transferred to 3rd Royal Irish Regiment on the 2nd of June 1915, 
and was posted to the Corral and then to the 2nd Battalion in France on the 26th of July, joining it on the 30th of July as a stretcher bearer. He was shot in the right hand at Mametz on the Somme on the 1st of July 1916 and was treated by the 23rd Field Ambulance at the 11th Stationary Hospital in Rouen. He was recommended for the Military Medal for his actions during the Battle of Mezins Ridge on the 7th of June 1917. He was then promoted to Lance Corporal on the 11th of August 1917. Word of the week. And this week, I give you... Horripilation, which means a shuddering, creeping or shivering sensation. A feeling where your hair is on end. On the 16th of August, 1917, at Fresenburg, Belgium when the company which was holding a line of shell holes and short trenches had many casualties. Lance Corporal Room was in charge of the stretcher bearers. He worked continuously under intense fire, dressing the wounded and helping to evacuate them. Throughout this period, with complete disregard for his own life, he showed unremitting devotion to his duties. He was granted 10 days leave in October and appointed unpaid acting corporal on the 30th of October. On the 4th of November, he was granted one month's special leave during which he was presented with his Victoria Cross by King George V at Durdham Down in Bristol on the 8th of November. After the investiture, he was given a civic reception, even though he wanted to avoid the fuss. He repeatedly refused to do any interviews. Frederick began to suffer from heart palpitations and in October 1918 suffered shock from an aeroplane bomb that caused a recurrence of the heart issues. He also contracted influenza on the 24th of October. He was evacuated to Bristol on the 12th of November suffering from breathlessness and pain in his chest and was admitted to Holm Hall, Port Sunlight, Lancashire, suffering from tachycardia. He moved to two more hospitals before the end of the year. On the 12th of January 1919, Frederick was assessed as 20% disabled, which was likely to persist for 12 months, and was transferred to a military hospital in Bath. He was one of five Bristol VCs presented with inscribed gold watches and illuminated addresses at Colston Hall on the 15th of February. He was discharged to the Class Z Reserve on the 5th of March 1919 and began his employment with Thrussell Engineering Company, Bristol. He married Ellen Elizabeth Sargent on the 2nd of August 1919 at St Michael's Church, Tiverton, Bath. Unfortunately, Frederick had to give up work in the early 1930s due to failing health. His lungs were badly affected by his war experiences and he was hospitalised with acute pneumonia. 
Ellen refused all offers of help and took a job while nursing him at their home. He continued to deteriorate and was admitted to Ham Green Sanitarium in Bristol at the end of 1931. He died there on the 19th of January, 1932. He was buried at Greenbank Cemetery. A marble headstone provided by ex-service organisations was placed there in May, 1933. In addition to his VC, he was also awarded the 1914-15 Star British War Medal 1914-20 and Victory Medal 1914-19. His medals were presented to the National Army Museum in 1966 where they're held but not currently on display. The official description about his deeds reads On 16 August 1917 at Fresenberg, Belgium when the company was holding a line of shell holes and shore trenches had many casualties Lance Corporal Aroon was in charge of the stretcher bearers. He worked continuously under intense fire, dressing the wounded and helping to evacuate them. Throughout this period, with complete disregard for his own life, he showed unremitting devotion to his duties. There are far too many lives lost to war, and the heartbreak and torture for the families must be immense. I find it particularly heartbreaking when the casualty is so very young. For example, Royden Ewart Palmer. Royden was born in Kingswood, the eldest child and only son of a bootmaker, Thomas, and his wife, Edith. He had three younger sisters, and they lived in Honey Hill Road, Kingswood, Bristol. Royden enlisted in the Dorsetshire Regiment, probably in 1916, and later transferred to the 1st Battalion, Duke of Edinburgh's Wiltshire Regiment. He fought in various actions on the Western Front, including the attack on Mezins Ridge on the 7th of June. Following the attack, Royden was listed as missing on the 14th of June. He had been taken prisoner of war and died four months later on the 31st of October 1918 in Germany, only 11 days before the armistice. He was 19 years old. There's also the story about Muriel Minnie Stadden, daughter of George Frederick and Ethel Stadden. She lived at 46 Douglas Road, Caulfield in Bristol. Muriel was an employee of the Bristol Aeroplane Company and is commemorated on the company's war memorial inside St Peter's Church. She was killed as a result of a bombing raid at the Aeroplane Company's works at Filton on the 25th of September 1940. Muriel was only 20 years old. And now we have a few words from Ray, a veteran, who tells us what Remembrance Day and Poppy Day mean to him. My name is Ray and I'm ex-military. I was recently asked what Poppy Day meant to me. I thought that Poppy Day means much more than just one day. It's so very important, not just for the day, but the whole year around, and especially from the back end of November to the Remembrance Services that we are all now familiar with and the services locally at the Cenotaphs and on TV. 
the show of remembrance of the Royal Albert Hall and two minutes silence at the 11 o'clock, the 11th day on the 11th month. The time the armistice of World War I agreement took place as a prelude to peace negotiations in 1918. It's worth mentioning that this year will be the first time our new king will place a wreath. I had in fact become aware of the meaning of Poppy Day from when I was a young lad and a member of Downland Church Lads Brigade. On Remembrance Sunday we would march with our band along with the RBL, Scouts, Guides and Boys Brigade from Staple Hill to Downland Cenotaph. Here a trumpeter played the last post I always found moving as the RBL standard bearers lowered their flag and two minute silence took place. Following this we would march to Downland Holy Trinity Church for the Remembrance Service. <laughs> Word on the street. This week we'll be going to BS8 and There and Back Again Lane. This is situated just off Park Street on the way to Barclay Square and is in an area that suffered a lot during the Blitz and had to be rebuilt from scratch. Maybe the planner was reading Tolkien's The Hobbit whilst he was coming up with names? It's currently a dead end and is used to store wheelie bins from the various establishments around it. If you go to the Westley Cemetery in Downend, Bristol, you'll find the grave of George Britton. George was born in Mangotsville, the son of a coal miner and the second eldest of seven children, with four sisters and two brothers. George Britton served with the 354th Siege Battery Royal Garrison Artillery and was killed during the Cambrai operations from the 20th of November to the 30th of December 1917. A large-scale British attack that employed new artillery techniques and mass tanks. Initially it was very successful with large gains of ground being made but 10 days later a counter-attack regained much of the ground and the cost in Allied casualties was high at 44,000. On the 30th of November 1917, George was reported by the Red Cross as missing and wounded, a probable prisoner of war. Although this was changed three months later to presume killed when his mother was notified. George's body was never found and the memorial where he is remembered commemorates those who died in the Battle of Cumbrae in November and December 1917. And now it's time to hear more from Ray, telling us what Poppy Day means to him. As an ex-Royal Navy submariner, the reason for Poppy Day was always fresh in my mind and much more recently I became an active member of Stoke Gifford Royal British Legion. All year around we collect donations for poppy themed items and recently we received money in exchange for Falkland pins and of course the Queen's Jubilee. We attended several remembrance services throughout the year, one at Memorial Woodlands, another for Anzac Day and remembrance service at Memorial in Patchway a week after the 13th remembrance event in Stoke Gifford. Poppy Day is so we can collect money that goes to Royal British Legion beneficiaries. This helps veterans and their families plus serving personnel who may require help. Beneficiaries can contact our helpline call centre to explain their problem. The help could be a buddy to talk to, 
have a place to live or a conversion to make life easier and comfortable, such as door widening for wheelchairs. Our care homes and residential homes are of a high standard, as is our award-winning dementia units. If Royal British Legion can't help, they can signpost to other organisations. Assistance is for everyone in need all year round. This is the main reason the day is important to all members. Every poppy worn is going to help beneficiaries of the RBL. For me personally, members of the Royal British Legion and public, it's also to remember the fallen of both wars and in conflict since. For myself, especially the Falklands, where a chef known to me who was just an op I met travelling home from Faz Lane on a train. Bungie Williams, he was killed when HMS Sheffield was hit with an Exocet missile that hit the galley. I also had a close friend who was on the Hermes who saw firsthand the results of war. The poppy period means a lot of hard work takes place over the air. Our main poppy stands and collecting pots will turn up all around the area. It means every year we need as many volunteers we can get to help man these stalls. Everything organised by an excellent team at Stoke Gifford Royal British Legion branch. Lance Corporal Lindale C. Tizard was the son of Lindale and Elizabeth Tizard. He lived at two industrial buildings, Pitt Road, Hannam in Bristol, and before the war worked at Douglas Brothers in Kingswood, which was the company who in 1907 introduced Douglas motorcycles, followed by cars. Lindale served with the 7th Battalion Somerset Light Infantry, and at one point was sent home to recover from wounds he'd sustained on the battlefields. This was when his shopmates at Douglas presented him with a gold watch, a token of respect for the honour he had gained. Lindale died of chest wounds on the 25th of March 1918 and was buried in a general cemetery with his comrades. He was 23 years old and was awarded the military medal. His commanding officer sent the following letter to his parents. Seeing that your son, Elsie Tizard, is in my platoon, I should like to say how proud we all are of him. As you know, he has been awarded the military medal for leading two bombing parties on the 1st of July against heavy German parties and for rescuing a wounded man under heavy rifle and machine gun fire. As your son is a Bristolian like myself, I should be pleased if you would put this letter in a Bristol paper to show that he is respected by us all and that we are all, one and all, proud of him. He never sees danger and is ready for the toughest jobs, no matter how difficult. He is a son to be proud of. And in his last message, Ray has a request. I'd like to finish by putting out a shout four new members as unfortunately membership has decreased over the years. We have a Facebook page where one can send a message to show interest to be a member of an important organisation, to be able to meet new people, make new friends. The Royal British Legion isn't just for old veterans, but anyone of any age can join the branch serving this area and there's absolutely no need to be ex-military. We currently have a presence at local events, we usually post these on our Facebook page feel free to come along and meet us. I hope you can all join in with a two minute silence on 11th of November or on Remembrance Sunday. We will be at the Cenotaph in Stoke Gifford on the 13th for a Remembrance service. Thank you.
It seems, especially in World War I, that poetry was a way for soldiers to release some of the feelings that they were experiencing in the trenches. One such poem was written by a wounded soldier of the West Kents, whilst recovering from war wounds in the Queen Victoria Jubilee Convalescence Home on Durden Down in Bristol. His poem dealt with battles that his regiment had taken part in, particularly where a party of West Kents were surrounded in Trones Wood on the night of the 13th of July 1916, but managed to hold out until morning, when they were finally relieved and the wood captured. Surrounded in that little trench they the German hordes defied, as through the night of anguish these lads fought side by side. But when at last the break of day found them still at their posts, there was many a gallant hero who had joined the Lord of Hosts. If Trones Wood was their sepulchre, then heaven's their resting place, and in that great beyond we'll meet our comrades face to face. These lads had fought for glory and won a warrior's beer, in that ragged waste of woodland with not one voice to cheer. But no more they'll hear the roll call upon the barrack square, for the county of Kent's crack regiment had shorn in glory there. And through the gleaming ages these lads will take their stand, by the side of Britain's heroes on heaven's golden strand. And o'er old England's valleys their cry shall ring for a, shall ring their cry from hill to hill, remember Berna Fay. Do you love true crime, but are looking for something different? It sounds like a sitcom. It does. The Benders. The kind of assholes you should probably leave them alone. Do you like learning about cases so off the wall they can't possibly be true? Her wig is enormous, but it is lifted off her head by a monkey. Do you love history, but want to hear about what they didn't teach you in school? It's just got a almost where you hang your horns sign. <laughs> Do you like laughing awkwardly about cases that are bizarre and a little strange? They'd be able to wield so many knives with all of their little arms. <laughs> then we have the podcast for you. Join me, Lindsay. And me, Madison, for Ye Old Crime. Where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. Listen every Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll see you next time with another tale as old as crime. Back in the day facts. Let's start off with the 12th of November 1927, when Leon Trotsky is expelled from the Soviet Communist Party, leaving Joseph Stalin in undisputed control of the Soviet Union. Also on the 12th of November, but in 1984, Paul McCartney releases the single We All Stand Together. The 13th of November, 10,002, English King Ethelred II orders the killing of all Danes in England, known today as the St. Brice's Day Massacre. On the 14th of November, 1889, pioneering female journalist Nellie Bly, a.k.a. Elizabeth Cochran, begins a successful attempt to travel around the world in less than 80 days. She completes the trip in only 72 The 14th of November in 1952 sees the new Musical Express, or NME, 
published the first regular UK singles chart. On the 15th of November 1969, in Washington, D.C., 250 to 500,000 protesters staged a peaceful demonstration against the war, including a symbolic march against death. On the 16th of November 1940, in response to the levelling of Coventry by the German Luftwaffe two days before, the Royal Air Force bombs Hamburg. The Coventry attack was the single most concentrated attack on a British city in the Second World War. Codenamed Moonlight Sonata, the raid lasted for 11 hours and involved nearly 500 Luftwaffe bombers gathered from airfields all over occupied Europe. The aim was to knock out Coventry as a major centre for war production. It was said that Hitler ordered the raid as revenge on an RAF attack on Munich. Coventry lost not only its great medieval church of St Michael's, the only English cathedral to be destroyed in the Second World War, but its central library and market hall, hundreds of shops and public buildings, and 16th century palace yard, where James II had once held court. Also on the 16th of November in 1940, in occupied Poland, the Nazis close off the Warsaw Ghetto from the outside world. And lastly, on the 17th of November 1558, the Elizabethan era begins. Queen Mary I of England dies and is succeeded by her half-sister, Elizabeth I of England. Well, I'm afraid that means that the show is over for another week. But don't worry, I'll be here next week. Same time, same place. And as always, a huge thank you goes out to not only Steve Shepard, Molly Jeffries and Joe Wilson, but also to Ray for his few words about Poppy Day and what it means to him as a veteran. Thank you, one and all. Thank you once again for listening to me, Alice, on the Backtracker History Show. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you can find me on Twitter or Facebook by looking up at Backtracker UK with a capital B, a capital T and a capital UK. I also occasionally post onto TikTok and Instagram. So do come along and find me because it's amazing to hear from you and get some feedback or even ideas for future shows. As a small independent podcaster, your help and support is always appreciated. And one way you can do that is to rate the show wherever you get your podcasts. Leaving a review also helps as it gives other people an idea of what the show's about. The show is regularly released on Mondays. So until next time, guys, take care and look after each other. (laughs) 